This is an RNZ podcast. Today we witnessed the first ever women's super rugby clash between the Blues and Chiefs, brand new women's teams. It only took 25 years to get here. So, was it worth the wait? That was TVNZ sports news presenter Hayley Holt last weekend, shortly after the first ever women's super rugby match had wrapped up. That historic Blues versus Chiefs Wahine clash didn't pull anything like the crowd that 660 drew to Eden Park the previous weekend, but it got plenty of media attention, including live coverage on Sky Sport 1 from the kickoff. Today, years of tireless work comes to fruition as a group of trailblazers stand on the shoulders of many to create a new story. Right through to the final whistle. Arakua puts it to the toe, it goes out into touch and history made on Eden Park. It is the Chiefs 39, the Blues 12 in the first ever women's Super Rugby match. The match was live blogged by Stuff and the Herald and that evening it led the sports bulletins on TVNZ1 News and News Hub at 6. And the media verdict seemed to be that women's rugby was the winner on the day. But what about other days? That Super Rugby match was a one-off and it may not be until the Women's Rugby World Cup kicks off here next September, COVID permitting, that Women's Rugby will again push the men's game down the bulletins. Last March, a survey of nearly 70,000 online sports stories from New Zealand's major news organisations over the past three years revealed that men's rugby gets more news coverage than every women's sport combined. Just 10% of the online sports coverage was dedicated to women, the survey found, and 7% covered sport featuring both men and women. But the remaining 83% of space and airtime devoted to sport was dedicated to the men. And another startling stat was that netball accounted for 80% of the women's sports coverage, but that's only 2% of the overall sports news. Last weekend, the same day as that first ever, but possibly only ever, women's super rugby clash, the website of the Australian Ministry of Sport reported that New Zealand media leads the world in gender-balanced sports coverage. It said that the umbrella group Sport New Zealand had scrutinised 40,000 sports items in local media and found women's sport accounted for 15% of sports coverage in the country's media, an improvement on a comparable 2011 study in New Zealand which said the gender balance sat at just 11%. But that's still a higher proportion than similar studies had found in Australia, where it was 7%, the UK, where it was somewhere between 4 to 10 and in the USA, it was just 5%. But Sport New Zealand's chief executive, Raylene Castle, said in that report, it's just not good enough. So how much media interest was there in this analysis of the job the media were doing? Not much. The Otago Daily Times trumpeted that it had come out on top. Women's sport accounted for 19.5% of the paper's sports coverage during the survey, they said. But the Otago Daily Times was the only mainstream media outlet in the survey to actually report the results. And another key finding for editors to ponder also went unreported. Four out of every five sports stories with a reporter's name attached was attributed to a male journalist. And that's an uncomfortable echo of the headline finding of Sport New Zealand's recent survey. 83% of tens of thousands of stories were about men's sports. So what then should our media be aiming for? Hayden Donnell asked Susan McFadden, who edits the locker room section at newsroom.co.nz, which is dedicated to women's sport, and Stuff senior sports reporter Zoe George, formerly a journalist here at RNZ, where she also hosted Fair Play, a monthly podcast with the Global Women's Sports Network. And before that, she was a media manager for Japan's national men's and women's cricket teams. Kia ora, Zoe. 
Kia ora. And kia ora, Suzanne. Welcome to Media Watch. Kia ora. Thanks, Hayden. So we're talking about Sports NZ's report about the coverage of women's sport in New Zealand. And the finding is, essentially, that women's sport gets 15% of the media coverage of sport in New Zealand. That is actually a world-leading figure. Isn't that kind of depressing? Well, I think... I think because it is world leading, we actually need to acknowledge our wins here to start with. Now, there has been an increase in coverage of women in sport from 2011, from 11% to 15%, which also we're seeing more women in bylines than ever before. And the language that we're using and the way that we talk about women in sports also changing. So back in 2016, Cambridge University uh, did research around the language that we use on women, and it was like pregnancy and pretty, and now it's strong and powerful. So they're all wins. And if we look at it that way, then the only way is up from here. You agree with that, Suzanne? Yeah, I do. But I still think that I, I'm still not happy with 15%. And I know that Zoe isn't either. Um, until we change the face of our newsrooms, I don't know that we're going to get any better. You know, having more women in newsrooms, having more women making decisions in newsrooms, and I think that's where a change will lie. Now, the research shows that women are more likely to write about women in sport. But at staff, you know, we've only got a very small handful of women in our sports team. But it's the men who are driving this change, who are allies for women. What are the structural factors that are keeping women out of the sports sections of newsrooms? And how do you turn that around? At Locker Room, we... Um are trying to encourage more women to write for us as contributing writers, but we've also got a full-time writer in Ashley Stanley who we introduced to journalism through Locker Room last year, and she's doing an amazing job. The problem seems to be that there aren't a lot of young women out there who see sports reporting as a viable job, and I think that's where another area that we can change, you know, that we can make it look appealing make them understand that hopefully they will be treated well mm. in a newsroom. TVNZ have made a real conscious effort to have more women on their sports reporting team. Mm. And because I know, you know, I, I, I've often heard sports editors say, we had a job for a woman, but nobody applied. Mm. You know, how far did they look and how viable did they make that position? Is there similarities with something like the representation of Māori or Pacifica mm. people in, in, in news stories? There's some parallels there because when you speak about that, Māori and Pacifica people say, well, I'm, it's hard to just be thrown into a reporting role, a junior role, and actually what you need is people that are like me and understand me in executive roles and leadership mm. roles. Absolutely, absolutely. And within sport, not just in the media, but in the wider sporting context, uh, you look at the government mandate that said that all sports bodies that receive $50,000 or more in government funding must have 40% representation of fem females on their boards by the end of the year. And if we look at something like New Zealand rugby, for example, they've just had the AGM. They've got two women, which makes up about 28%. They're going to miss that deadline. One of the facts I found really striking in the report was that actually when you separate out women's sports presenting roles and women's sports reporting roles, mm. the stats actually go down a heap. So, for instance, News Hub goes down from 29% women to 8.6% women when you exclude sports presenters. The reporting roles and the actual journalism roles, those are the places where the narratives are created, right? Mm. So is that a real part of the problem that 
women don't have influence over the narratives. What I found so fascinating about some of this research was that there were five sports in which women got more coverage than men. Netball, obviously, uh, but then there were three other sports within that that all had welfare issues within the last nine months. So gymnastics, canoe racing and hockey. And you go, hmm, this is quite interesting. Why is this? With rugby as well, though, let's talk about that because that was something more than 30% of the overall uh, you know, coverage of sport and predominantly men's sport. I think it was like 90% or something rugby. But the thing is, though, it's not just about media. It's about sport-wide as well. So when COVID hit... The first thing that got sidelined by rugby was women's rugby. So how are we meant to report on women when sports bodies are sidelining women? Yeah, I agree with Zoe. It's definitely up to the sports as well. You know, in in a sport where you have both women and men playing, you know, we'll get story ideas about the men in in a press release and down at the bottom, you know, there'll be a one paragraph about the women's equivalent to that competition. Yeah, and one of the things that wasn't captured in this research as well, uh, and it's actually going to be released, I think, this month by Sport New Zealand, they are doing a case study on the Super Smash, which is the T20, domestic T20 competition in which men and women played double headers. So they're playing the same game in the same conditions on the same day. Uh, and at Stuff, we made a huge push to ensure that there was 50-50 representation there, and we achieved that. I'm an NBA fan. When I try and get my news on the NBA. It's very easy. There's a huge infrastructure surrounding it. There's all the box scores. There's a huge amount of commentary. There's a, you know, there's all of it is provided to me very easily. And if I want to do the same for the WNBA, it's not quite as mm. easy. How much of the disparity in coverage is due to that ease of access and uh, that goes down to the broadcast of the sport <laughs> itself? Well, yeah, you turn on the TV and every time you turn on the TV, you see men playing rugby, right? Yes. Yeah. It's almost borderline saturation, but someone might argue with me on that one, and that's fine, and that's okay. But there's this whole argument as well that what's the point of covering women's sport or what's the point of broadcasting women's sport if A, no one watches, and B, it doesn't bring any money? Because if we look at the last Women's FIFA Football World Cup, which, by the way, New Zealand is co-hosting in a couple of years' time, and it's going to be super exciting, they had a global audience of 1.4 billion people. You can't tell me that there's not a market there. And if we compare that to the last Men's Rugby World Cup, they had an audience of about, I don't know, 860 million, give or take a few 10,000. This is what gets me. If you're a sports fan, you're a sports fan, and it shouldn't matter who's playing. Yeah, we saw that on Saturday, Mm. you know, with the um, first super rugby clash between the Blues woman and the Chiefs woman. Mm. And um, the, the standard of rugby was superb. But one thing that really bothered me was that the game started at 4.35 and Eden Park didn't open the gates until 4.15. The people who were waiting outside didn't get to see the players warming up. Now, that's part of the whole experience of going to a ground. If you're not seeing it, how can you become a fan of it? It's an amazing time, though, to be a sports journalist in New Zealand who covers women's sport because we've got three World Cups coming up in the next two years and the IWG Women in Sport Conference in New Zealand, the biggest global conference in the world on gender equity in sport. So this is the best time for New Zealand to really, sorry to excuse the pundit, but to pick up the ball and run with it here. (laughs) You know, this is the time to really make these women's sports stand out and to give them equal 
attention, maybe even a bit more attention because of the standard of the competition that we're going to be seeing here, but also then to keep it up and carry it on. That's going to be the biggest challenge. It's not just the amount of coverage, it's how the coverage is carried out. So the media is more likely to comment on a female athlete's appearance, they're more likely to seek the comment of her coach, they're more likely to focus on her role as a wife or mother. Is that conscious or unconscious sexism in the media industry? That was a huge focus for a long time. You know, women have kind of been sidelined and, and their experiences and put in traditional gender roles, you know, their mothers, their carers, their whatever. And when we talked about that language a little bit earlier on about the research out of Cambridge about them being pretty and pregnant and now we're talking about them being strong and powerful, I think is an incredible thing. We are seeing, though, that the sexualisation of women in sport has decreased quite significantly. It's fewer than 1% now, which is amazing. And, you know, I remember growing up and reading stories about top 10 sportswomen in bikinis. Yay. And that was the women's sport content. You know, we don't talk about a man in that way. Um, recently, I wrote a story about Lydia Ko doing the hula at, uh, you know, she won a major uh, LGPA tournament, which is amazing. It was incredible. And it was really uh, incredible because there was this cross-cultural divide between golf, which is a traditional sport that was established by old white men, and uh, this Pacifica uh, Polynesian flavour that was coming through, and that was so important. So they talked about that, but they don't get the men to do it. So why not? Because actually men do hula as well in, in uh, Hawaii. So yeah, it's a really interesting, uh, interesting structure. It is changing, and I'm glad it's changing. I think it's changing here, though. Mm. I don't know that it's changing in the rest of the world. And it's going to be really interesting to see the coverage coming out of the Tokyo Olympics mm. and see if that um, improves. I mean, I, it's not that long ago. And you still see it sometimes even here that, you know, female athletes achieve something, mm. but they also happen to be the wife or partner of... <laughs> Uh, an athlete who did something less, but that's that's the connection that the media chooses to take. And, you know, that is an unconscious bias because it's kind of like, well, more people know about that all black than they do about that black seven, Blackburn Sevens player, so let's uh, just make that connection for them. But we, we shouldn't have to do that anymore. Mm. I'll just ask that question in a slightly different way, but, like, um, maybe you can answer this, but... Does that reporting style matter in terms of the respect paid to female athletes and female sport? Absolutely. Of course it does. Um, you know, they are humans, first and foremost. Uh, they are incredibly powerful and strong and amazing. So why, when we use, when we talk about men, we use that language, but we don't with women? Um, it's the same with female journalists. I don't know, Suze, what it's been like for you, but a couple of weeks ago I wrote a column about my experiences of being not only a woman uh, in the media, but also a woman in sport. Um, and, you know, I've received some really horrific horrific, horrible things said to me, done to me in that environment. It's the same thing. And it's because of, it was a, because of a lack of respect. Um, that's changing. I'm really glad it's changing. Uh, and, and it's also because I think I've started to go, do you know what, I'm not going to tolerate that anymore. And, and I don't think that we should tolerate, you know, saying that a, a, a female athlete is pretty anymore because it shouldn't matter whether or not she's pretty. It should matter whether or not she is amazing on the field, which our female athletes are. Suzanne, you have 
basically launched a venture at Newsroom, Locker Room, to target especially that market. Has that been a challenge? Is there people that have real interest in this and it's not being served by other media? Newsroom is all about spotting a gap in the media landscape and filling it. And that's why we started Locker Room three years ago. It has picked up readers and interest. And I think the hardest thing to get across the line is sponsorship. So, mm. okay, Newsroom has sponsored in a, a, or was funded in a different model than most. And when we wanted to introduce a new female sports journalist into the industry, we went out looking for sponsorship to pay for a scholarship. We knocked on doors for a year and got turned away. Or we'd go to companies that we thought would be totally into sponsoring women's sport. I mean, and they'd say, yeah, we think it's a great idea. We'll just take it to our board. And then they'd come back and say, oh, no, we're not um, ready to spend any money in that area. And how many men are on that board? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You've got them one. That's exactly right. So... It was a really hard ask until um, Sky came to us and said, you know, we hear that you're looking for it and we are trying to encourage more um, females into the industry. And they've been fantastic Mm -hmm. with their programs. Yeah, but I'm still quite surprised, I don't know whether that's being naive, that corporates aren't seeing this amazing opportunity to back women's sport right now. And this is it, right? If we look at men's sport, it's an established business. Let's look at it this way. It's an established business. Women's sport's a startup. Now's the time for investment. And that's an investment of time, investment of money. We are surrounded by a whole bunch of like-minded people, but we know that they're out there. And it also comes down to the audience as well. If you're a sports fan, click on an article. On the flip side as well, though, our audience in regards to sport is changing. So, you know, it used to be uh, slightly skewed to older men, who engage with sport, but it's actually now, um, it's really interesting looking at some of the stats, you know, in in regards to our home environment, uh, 80% of the financial decisions are made by women. Ultimately, they're the ones who are going to decide whether or not they're going to spend their money to take their kids to see the Chiefs women or the Chiefs men to play. So let's write for them as well. Five years time, you're in charge of the media, you get to sort of (laughs) enact your entire vision, what the sports media will look like in five years time. What does it look like, Suzanne? In five years' time, I'd like to see it a 40-60 split. 40% women, 60% men. Because it's going to take a hell of a lot longer than five years to get 50-50. Equal number of women and men in sports newsrooms around the country. I'd just like to see more sports journalists full stop. I mean, you know, we've had some major cuts in our industry, especially around um, the time of the first lockdown last year. So I want to see newsrooms repopulated with writers who are happy to write about women's sport or men's sport. Men are totally capable of writing about women's sport too, and we're seeing a lot of that, so that's great too. I'd also like the idea around challenging what traditional sports journalism looks like and going, actually, sports journalism is journalism full stop um, and exploring that sports journalism is not just results-based. Um, that there's more to sport than what happens on the field. I would love to see 50-50 split. It's going to take a little while, but for now I would love for news organisations to go, okay, 15% is a really good base. How do we grow on it? What's the next six months look like? What does the next 12 months look like? Because ultimately that's how we're going to get to the 50%. It's like climbing Mount Everest. You're not going to do it in one giant leap. It's going to take little steps, and we need to recognise how important those little steps are. And when we hit them celebrate them, mark them, go, awesome, 
how can we get even better? That was Zoe George, senior sports reporter at Stuff, and we also heard there from Suzanne McFadden, who edits the locker room section at newsroom.co.nz, which is dedicated to women's sport. And there they were talking to Media Watch's Hayden Donnell about media coverage of women's sport, which was surveyed by Sport NZ in a report published this week.